Welcome to Piecemeal, a podcast hosted by the EMILY program where we put it together for you. Piecemeal discusses topics related to eating disorders, body image issues, and how society may contribute to distorted thinking. I'm your host, Claire Holtz, and on today's episode, we are talking to Blythe Baird. Blythe is an actor, author, spoken word poet, and teaching artist whose work has been featured by Button Poetry, Glamour, Elle, The Huffington Post, Everyday Feminism, and many more. Blythe is also the creative force behind the poem, When the Fat Girl Gets Skinny, which just topped 7 million views on YouTube. And her new book, If My Body Could Speak, has already made numerous bestseller lists. Welcome, Blythe. Thank you so much, Claire. We're so excited to have you here. Full disclosure, we did this intro twice because mm-hmm. the audio wasn't working, so we're happy it's up now. Very happy. And we're also happy because Blythe has a new book out. Yes. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, so it's called If My Body Could Speak. It just came out with Button Poetry uh, recently on February 5th. Um, yeah, it's been really exciting. Um, I got to do a couple shows to, to promote it. And um, yeah, I'm really excited about it. It was a long process where I was combining some older poems and newer poems um, into kind of like a mega collection. And uh, yeah, I'm really happy with it. So you're also a traveling poet, correct? Yes. And you just performed in India, Mm -hmm. which is very cool. Why were you over there? Did you get invited? Did you just go? Yeah, so um, Spoken Fest, which is basically like non-problematic Coachella, except just for poetry (laughs) and some music in India. Um, They have this big, giant festival, uh, and the people who run the festival reached out to Button and were like, we want to have Blythe perform in India. So Button connected me with them, and I found out they also wanted to have my friend Olivia Gatwood come down, which was going to be really cool, because it would be cool to go to India by myself, but I much would rather <laughs> go with a friend. Um, and so, yeah, so we went and did that. Um, we were performing for about 4,500 people, which is definitely the largest audience I've ever had before. Um, but it was really wild. It was really cool to see them all know the words to my poems. Um, and uh, we also did this like live Q&A, um, which was not like anything I've ever really done before. And we did a writing workshop there, um, which was super special. And the fans there just uh, took everything we were saying so to heart. They were like writing furiously during all of our sessions and that, and they were asking such good questions. Um, and uh, yeah, it's the first time I've been out of the country since I was like a little kid. So it was definitely a very new and um, exciting experience. So did you immediately say yes to going or did you have to think about it? Um, I had to look at their contract because I've learned over the years that I really have to read people's contracts because I have made mistakes with that in the past. I'll be like, yeah, I'll do whatever. I'll just like go to Timbuktu and back. It's fine. And they'll be like, we don't pay for anything. And I'll be like, whoa. So I'm not going to do that. But India was good. They, um, the Spoken Fest paid uh, for our travel and, and airfare and they paid us to perform and everything, which I was like, okay, cool. I can justify to my parents me leaving the country to go to a job. So um, yeah, that's that was uh, how that all came about. How long have you been doing spoken word for? Um, I wrote my first spoken word poem slash really poem in general when I, it was like a couple months before I turned 17. I'm going to put you on the spot. Sure. So you have the poem that I talked about, When the Fat Girl Gets Skinny. Sure. It has over 7 million views on YouTube. You also made a video for it. Mm-hmm. Is there any chance we could get it performed for us today? Yeah. Yeah, I can definitely do it. When the fat girl gets skinny. The year of skinny pop and sugar-free jello cups. 
we guzzled vitamin water and vodka, toasting to high school and survival complementing each other's collarbones, trying diets we found on the internet, menthol cigarettes, eating in front of a mirror, donating blood, replacing meals with other practical hobbies like making flower crowns or fainting, wondering why I haven't had my period in months, why breakfast tastes like giving up, or how many more productive ways I could have spent my time today besides Googling the calories in the glue of a U.S. envelope, watching America's Next Top Model like the gospel, hunching naked over a bathroom-scale shrine, crying into an empty bowl of Cocoa Puffs because I only feel pretty when I'm hungry. If you are not recovering, you are dying. By the time I was 16, I had already experienced being clinically overweight, underweight, and obese. As a child, fat was the first word people used to describe me, which didn't offend me, until I found out it was supposed to. When I lost weight, my dad was so proud, he started carrying my before and after photo in his wallet. So relieved he could stop worrying about me getting diabetes, he saw a program on the news about the epidemic with obesity, he says he is just so glad to finally see me taking care of myself. If you develop an eating disorder when you are already thin to begin with, you go to the hospital. If you develop an eating disorder when you are not thin to begin with, you are a success story. So when I evaporated, of course, everyone congratulated me on getting healthy. Girls at school who never spoke to me before stopped me in the hallway to ask how I did it. I say I am sick. They say, no, you're an inspiration. How could I not fall in love with my illness? with becoming the kind of silhouette people are supposed to fall in love with. Why would I ever want to stop being hungry when anorexia was the most interesting thing about me? So how lucky it is now to be boring. The way not going to the hospital is boring. The way looking at an apple and seeing only an apple, not 60 or half an hour of sit-ups is boring. My story may not be as exciting as it used to, but at least there is nothing left to count. The calculator in my head finally stopped. I used to love the feeling of drinking water on an empty stomach, waiting for the coolness to slip all the way down and land in the well, not obsessed with being empty, but afraid of being full. I used to take pride in being able to feel cold in a warm room. Now, I am proud I have stopped seeking revenge on this body. This was the year of eating when I was hungry without punishing myself, and I know it sounds ridiculous, but that shit is hard. When I was little, someone asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, and I said, small, thank you. <laughs> Ooh, I wish I had more people in here to clap with me. <laughs> no, it's cool. Thank you. That poem is just incredible. I think it... It's so amazing. I don't even have the words for it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I mean, clearly it's an incredible testimony to your time growing up and experiencing body messaging and cultural messaging and disordered eating. But what sparked you to write the poem and then share it so widely? Yeah, so it's kind of a weird story how this poem came about because there's a handful of my poems where they were written within like a week. Like it was like uh, the first draft was very close to the final draft because um, there was a certain time in my life that I'm not in anymore where I was just producing poems really quickly. Um, but this one wasn't one of those ones. This one actually originally started off as a poem called She Doesn't Need to See the Menu, which I wrote when I was like 16, 17. Um, and that poem I was 
about my own experience, but it was also more focused on I had watched um, my childhood best friend who we were originally fat together. We were both overweight, um, but she became, um, she got her eating disorder before I did, like years before I did. Um, And it was always really wild for me to both have the experience of like watching her get sick, um, being someone who started off uh, overweight and then losing it. And then for that same thing to happen to me years later. Um, But anyway, so the original draft of it, uh, the only line that I kept the same from that one to when it became when the fat girl gets skinny was the line if you go to if you develop an eating disorder when you're already thin to begin with you go to the hospital but if you don't you're a success story essentially um, because I realized that that was what I was actually trying to say like that was the thesis of the point I wanted to make and so fast forward I was um, it was right after freshman year of college and I needed poems to go because I was going to nationals on a team and I only had um two poems then that I was like ready to perform at nationals and I needed a third and so I revisited the she doesn't need to see the menu poem and I started reworking it so it more was a so it could prove the thesis that I actually wanted it to have and then so in the revisions I made it focus on my my exact experience and all of that um but uh I don't know if I necessarily would have came back to working on that poem if I wasn't under the pressure of a deadline, like you need another poem. Um, but after I did finish it and um, uh, two years later, two years after the original draft, I felt really, um, it was a really healing process for me to be able to name what had happened to me and to be able to name something that I originally felt was really unique to me and then to after I shared it realizing that this isn't unique to me at all this is a this is a very common experience actually but um, I was moved to, to share it uh, both because of the deadline for the team but also because when I sp- when I would perform it, it would come out so passionately because I did care that much and I did, uh, it was that high stakes of a, of a experience for me. Um, and I felt like it was really important to get that story out because before I wrote it, when I was trying to find things that people had written about eating disorders, I kept coming across the same narrative of a, of a girl who, who was already thin and then um, you know it became this this disaster everybody knew she was sick that kind of thing but I couldn't find anything that talked about um, the experience of your weight loss being celebrated when you're um, doing it in an unhealthy way or the ones I would find where it uh, wasn't the ones I would find where it was um, celebrating weight loss would assume the person did it healthily when that's so not always the case what's the feedback been for this poem um, overwhelmingly positive. Um, a lot of my poems that focus more on um, uh, like feminism or sexuality get more controversial mm-hmm. uh, feedback to it. But this one, it's been overwhelmingly really positive, um, specifically on the spoken word poem. And then with the short film, also overwhelmingly positive. But there were a lot of people on the, the short film who would like try to like debate my weight in the comments and be like, oh, she's like, you know, she's not even skinny. Or they'll be like, she's um, uh, like too skinny to, you know, all these different things, um, which would be so annoying. But I never got too caught up in the YouTube comments in that way. Um, but yeah, 
it's been really positive, I think, because for the people that it does mean a lot to, I think it often like really helped them in a very profound way. And for the people that didn't get it, it was like, whatever. So mm-hmm. that's fine. Can you tell us a bit about your own recovery? When did you know you wanted to start recovery? What made you make that decision? Yeah, so I feel like there's no like singular or linear answer to that, just like because I feel like it's hard to, in one answer, take into account like relapses and that kind of deal. But I do remember the moment that I didn't want to be sick anymore. And um, when recovery seemed more appealing than staying sick, um, because it was just such a new feeling and experience at that time for me. But I was at school, I was in high school, and um, Sierra DeMolder was, perf- I know, I love her. I love <laughs> I her. That, that is my her. big sister. Sierra, if you're listening, which yeah. you better be, we both say hi. We both say hi. Yeah, she's like my big sister. And um, I'm really thankful for all of her support through everything that I've been through. But so the first time I saw her perform, I hadn't heard of spoken word poetry. The only like vague point of reference I had for slam was that people like wore berets that was like all I knew or thought of um which isn't even really true in real life but um yeah but she had this poem uh that she was performing at a thing that we had at my school called writers week where writers from all over the country would come in and read their work and then um some students would also share you could like apply to go share but I wasn't a writer yet so I didn't even apply but so anyway I was like sitting in the audience and she did this poem called Anna and it was about anorexia and there were two lines in it that really shook me up one of them was like um your body is not a temple your body is the house you grew up in how dare you try to burn it to the ground and I was like shook and then there was another line that was like to the mothers of Hollywood the red carpet and the 10 pounds the camera adds how will your daughter ever learn to love her body if she's forced to watch you ring out yours which um brought up a lot for me with my relationship with my mother specifically my mother's relationship to my weight um and also the fact that I've always known that I'm going to be a mom that like that's going to be um that's always been very important to me and so to think that like like, if I don't get my shit together, then my daughter could have the same issues with body image and stuff that I do. And that was just, like, so unfathomable to me um, and so not what I would want for her. So when I heard Sierra say that, I just – I felt – I, for the first time, um, felt like recovery sounded like something I wanted to look into because um, – she made suffering not seem desirable anymore. Um, And that was also what got me into spoken word because I was like, I can't believe a poem just did that for me. The only context I've had for poems have been like Robert Frost on his nature-ish. So like I didn't care about poems before, but then I saw they could like actually elicit like real feelings that could lead to tangible action. And so that was really impressive to me. Speaking of circumstances that lead other people to find recovery, <laughs> sure. you wrote a blog for us at the Emily program. I sure did. Last year, uh, ooh, I wish I could remember which month, but probably six months ago now, and it was called Tips That Helped Me in Eating Disorder Recovery, mm-hmm. and it was loved by our community. It got a huge response. There were a bunch of people commenting on it, A, saying that they love you, and Aww. B, saying that they're interested in pursuing recovery now and that you're a role cool. model. Could you remind us of what those five tips were? Yeah, I had to look them up because I forgot what I said. (laughs) But um, the first one was that I I like to personify, or at the time, it was important for me to personify my body. And by that, I meant 
um, to think of my body as an entity that was almost like separate from myself because in that way I could look at uh, what I was doing to my body which was destroying it and then I could kind of be like why am I being so mean to this body to this being like if I separated myself from it I was able to have more empathy for my body um, which I don't think is something that necessarily works for everyone I think that maybe would definitely not work for some people but for me that was really helpful um the other one was like setting realistic goals which sounds like basic but the reason that I said it was specifically um I was comparing it to when I had quit was trying to quit smoking which I did successfully um I'm very proud of it I Congrats. quit just over a year ago um thank you thank <laughs> you it was it was really hard but um rewarding but anyway so when I was trying to do that I called my dad and I asked him um, like for advice on it because he quit smoking when I was like 10 and he was like don't tell yourself you're never going to smoke again tell yourself you're not going to smoke today and like eventually those todays start to add up and I started to think about that in the context of like my eating disorder because if I would tell myself like I'm never going to skip a meal again or I'm never gonna like you know d- don't not like what I see in the mirror again like I would set these just unrealistic goals and then I'd be like why did I fail at my goal but then um, I started being like okay if I tell myself I'm going to eat three full meals today then that's so much easier than than you know trying to plan five years ahead of time at once I just try to take it one day at a time in that way and then the third one was um, remembering that healing is um, political and I think that that can mean a lot of different things for for people, but I thought about it a lot in the context of like, how can I set an example for young people, especially young women, if I'm starving myself? Um, And also just thinking that um, you can't change the world on an empty stomach. You don't have the energy or capabilities to contribute in the way you, well, at least I want to contribute um, if I don't let myself have the sustenance I need to do that. And so when I contextualized it in the idea that if I don't um, start eating and get my shit together, then I can't achieve my larger goal, which is empowering young women. Um, so I thought about it like that. Then the fourth one was remembering that fat and skinny are neither insults or compliments, which is, I think, a really hard thing to unlearn because everything in our culture tells us otherwise. Um, but they're just physical observations. You know, they're not, um, they shouldn't be negatively or positively correlated. Um, and then the last one was picturing myself as a child. That's another tip I picked up from Sierra because it's a lot harder to bully myself when I'm thinking about um, the version of myself I was when I was nine and my favorite color was lime green and all I wanted to do was pet dogs like how could I be mean to that little girl and so to try and like let my brain understand that me and her are the same person um, was another one of those things that let me just have more compassion for myself compassion that I feel like I otherwise would have like robbed myself of um, yeah There's a huge teenage and young adult audience following you, and I think they relate to you a lot. If you could tell that group of people that's young, having an eating disorder, they're unsure if they want to go to treatment, but they want their life to get better, what would you tell them? That your eating disorder is never going to be the route to get what you're actually looking for. That it's never going to be 
there's never going to it's never going to be a loophole into the life you want the future that you want it's never going to give you what it tells you that it can give you um it's not capable of giving you that um and I also think a lot about what I want to tell I think on Instagram and a lot of um, online communities, there's a lot of people who are looked at as like recovery role models. And I worry about them too, because I think about how it's hard when recover when you're in the public eye and recovery becomes this promise you have to keep. Um, but I also want them to know that you don't owe your progress to anyone, that like if you're allowed to slip up and that doesn't mean you're not a role model anymore. Um, and that... Uh, some I feel like sometimes I would eat because I would consider and know that young people who are struggling with that um, look up to me and tell me like oh you're the reason I ate breakfast today or sought treatment and sometimes I eat for them and I know that in theory it's like oh well you should always just be eating for yourself it shouldn't be like outside forces but I think whatever works works and so even if it is um, for a time being like outside forces that are what enables you to commit to recovery then like that's cool eventually it'll be just for yourself but if sometimes it's um for others that's okay too nice and let's talk about now what does your life currently look like in comparison to when you were living in the midst of an eating disorder yeah um i feel like i'm more fun to be around i first and foremost um but also i feel like my energy is focused on so much more productive things because when I look back to like the worst of like my eating disorder it felt like it was just this like blur of like bathrooms and like hallway like the school hallway and um uh just so fuzzy around the edges and that's like a testimony to like how my brain was malnourished at the time and now I feel like I can think clearer I feel like my fingernails are stronger um my manicures last longer my hair doesn't fall out I can like dye it no that won't like completely be the straw or the whatever was the straw that broke the camel's back and killed my hair there's all these different bodily things but also um I think that the biggest difference is that I feel less selfish which isn't to say that people with eating disorders are selfish I think that's like way um, oversimplifying and not doing the complexities of it if enough justice but when I think about it like in the midst of my eating disorder all I was ever thinking about was myself and my body and like uh, my the space I took up in the world physically and now that I've like transitioned that to thinking about uh, the how the space I let my ideas take up in the world and like that kind of thing versus my physical body um, I feel a lot less um, stressed about my appearance and my weight and now I just feel like it doesn't it's just not at the forefront of what I worry about um, and it's not my biggest concern it's not even like top 10 biggest concerns um, and that just feels really freeing so that's a big difference I didn't feel very like free from that before hmm What's on tap for 2019 for you? Oh, man. Great question. Well, I'm going to uh, continue to sell eyeglasses at Sea Eyewear in Minneapolis. Come through, get some glasses from me. I'll help you find the perfect frames. Um, I love it there. And uh, But beyond that, I'm working on my third book, um, which I don't want to make any promises on the release of that because I just know I'm not very good with deadlines. But I'm hoping to have a draft of that done by... Um, 
2020. And uh, yeah, I'm also hoping to go on tour. I'm trying to go on a UK tour um, and also in the US and hopefully other places too. But mostly I'm just trying to get my ish together because right now I'm a little bit scattered, but I'm like also learning like I'm 22. It's cool. Like it would be kind of weird if you had everything together right now. Um, So yeah, I'm going to work on being a little bit more chill this year also because I did a lot of things and I kind of need a little bit of a break. We all need a relaxation here. I'm with you on that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Any final thoughts you have before you wrap this up? Um, no, you know, I think that's it. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for, for having me. I love what you're doing. And I love that you're helping people with, uh, with eating disorders, because I think it is one of those very isolating diseases. So I think hearing people talk about it is really important. So thanks, Claire. Thanks for being on the show. Where can we find you? Oh, you can find me on the internet. Um, my Instagram <laughs> is at Blythe Baird. My Twitter is Blythe underscore Baird. And then everything else is just Blythe Baird, I'm pretty sure. Um, but yeah, you can Google it and it'll be fun. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, of course. Thank you again. We will link to all of Blythe's books and her short film adaptation of When the Fat Girl Gets Skinny in our show notes for this episode. If you or someone you love is exhibiting signs of disordered eating, you can reach out to us at 1-866-364-5977 or visit emilyprogram.com. If you have questions you want answered on the show, feel free to email podcast at emilyprogram.com or if you want to be on the show, you can send the same email to podcast at emilyprogram.com. If you enjoy piecemeal, please subscribe, rate, or review us so we can reach more listeners that may be struggling with food and body image. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Emily Program. Sending you lots of love from the Emily Program and Blythe to you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.